Washington, D.C. You'll find what's known there as the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Quite possibly you've heard of it. I imagine many of you have visited it. And it looks something like this where it's guarded 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. The procedure of guarding that tomb is very specific. The soldier walks 21 steps. On the 21st step, he turns and faces the tomb that he's guarding. He does this for 21 seconds. The soldier then turns and heads back in the other direction. He moves his rifle to his outside shoulder from the tomb. After 21 steps, he walks 21 steps and repeats the process again and again and again. Who's been there to see? Wow, lots of you have been there to visit the tomb of the unknown soldier. Since July 1 of 1937, a relatively small number of hand-picked soldiers have stood guard at this great tomb. The, the duty is not for everyone. Not everyone gets selected. As a matter of fact, over 80% of the soldiers who try out for guard duty at the tomb do not make it. I mean, that means only 2 out of 10 actually get selected to take on that responsibility. Each soldier, they must have a, a strong military bearing, discipline, stamina, and present an outstanding soldierly appearance on the outside. Each sentinel must be able to flawlessly perform their, their seven different types of walks and honors and ceremonies. And so there's a lot to understand and memorize. They must retain vast amounts of knowledge concerning the tomb and, and Arlington National Cemetery in the United States and, and their unit. I mean, it's just filled with, with knowledge. They can have no military or civilian convictions uh, violating the law. There's a lot of important things they have to do. They must score a minimum of 250 on the Army Physical Fitness Test. I would say most of us in here would probably say, I'm not going to pass that test at this point of life. Uh, their height must be between 5'11 and 6'4. That eliminates all the short people. And eliminates all of us who are taller, because I'd be outside of that. And now this next one, they need a 30-inch waist. 30-inch. I'm like 6'4 and a 30-inch waist. To be able to present a soldierly appearance in the army blue uniform. The tomb guards make personal sacrifices to, to serve and, and honor in this special role. They work on a team rotation, kind of like a fireman at the firehouse, where a few are on and a few, you know, on and off, on and off, where they rotate. Those soldiers who serve well for at least nine months are rewarded with a special badge to wear in their uniforms that acknowledge their service at the tomb of the unknowns. It's quite an honor. But if they ever bring shame on the tomb that they guard or otherwise fail in their duty, they are stripped of the badge and the honor that goes with it. You stop and think about that for a moment. And there may be some stretch, but I think there are a lot of comparisons between what they're doing and what we do as Christians. A lot of comparisons between what they do and what we are called to, to do. I believe we can find some parallels between Christians' lives and the soldiers who guard the tomb of the unknown soldier. It's a great honor to serve our Savior. It's a great honor to live for Him. However, our Lord Jesus has given us a very precise code that we're called to live to. He's asked us to live a certain conduct. He has a high expectation for us. And if we fail to live up to what He asks of us, then we bring shame to His name, so to speak. Now, I want to let some of you off the hook this morning. Some of you in this room can listen in closely to what I'm going to teach and share with you today, but for some of you in this room, this text doesn't apply to you. 
You say, well, how can it not apply to me? If you've not embraced Jesus as your Savior yet, if you've not placed your faith in Him and said, I believe that Jesus is my Savior, I believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, then you, you haven't embraced this text, this code of conduct, so to speak, just as you and I are not held to the same code of conduct as those who guard the tomb because we haven't went down that road and said, I want to guard the tomb. However, if you're here today and you're like, I've been investigating faith, I wonder what it's like to be a Christian, and you want to know, now you will understand what is the high calling that's laid before us. And you also get a chance to look at it and you'll see that, wow, sometimes some Christians don't quite live up to that high calling, and I'm going to explain that today. See, in our text this morning, we'll be challenged by the Apostle Paul's inspired words to the Colossians. And we've got to remember, this book is written to the church. It's written to Christians, to those who embrace Jesus as Savior. And I'm going to begin this morning in chapter 1, verse 9, as we receive these instructions from the Holy Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let me give you this passage in a simple summary. What I understand Paul saying. Paul says, live your life worthy of the Lord. Paul says, if you are a Christian... If you have embraced Jesus as your Savior and you have put your faith into Jesus Christ, then live your life worthy of it. Live your life in a way that sex example. Paul doesn't just tell us the high calling though. He doesn't just say, now live your life worthy, now go about it. He says, live your life worthy, and he kind of gives us some direction on how to do that. He says, be directed by His will, be strengthened by His power, and be motivated by His grace. See, the Christians in the city of Colossae were in need of some encouragement and some guidance. False teachers had been leading the congregation astray. People had been creeping in and kind of giving a little bit of mixed teaching of this, a little bit of mixed teaching of that. And so people at the time were getting really confused. The Colossians were confused. What does it really mean to live as a Christian? And so as he did just in other letters, the Apostle Paul directed his readers back to the basics of faith. He reviewed in the undeserved love that God had showed the world by sending His Son as a substitute for sinners. Then he reapplied the commands and demands that are set out in God's Word that if you're in Christ, here's how you live. The simple approach outlined the life of a Christian. And Paul went through this where he says, God's Word gives us direction of how to live our life as worthy Christians. See, and you see this in Colossians where Paul is constantly going, here is the message of the gospel. Here's what Jesus did for you. Here's how, how, what your life is like if you're in Christ. And then he always then replies with, if you're in Christ, if you're in Jesus, here's how you should live. And we see this teeter-totter going back and forth, and we're going to see it back and forth as you walk through the book of Colossians. Here's what Jesus did. Here's how you live. Here's what Jesus did. Here's how you live. And you're going to see that constantly as you walk through this book. And Paul keeps bringing us back to that. See, the guards at the tomb of the unknown soldier have very detailed instructions about what they're to do. 
Very detailed. Every step to take, every movement they make is covered by an army regulation. Verse 9, Apostle Paul tells us where we find the plan and pattern for our life as a Christian. He says this in verse 9, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Paul's saying living a life worthy of the Lord means our life must be directed by God's will. We must be always continually saying, God, I want your will. I want to live in your will. The will of God is revealed through spiritual wisdom, Paul says, and understanding that come only from God. How does it come from God? It comes through His Word. Some have said, and maybe you've wrestled with this, that knowing God's will is pretty hard. Some have said knowing God's will is impossible. Some have asked questions, how can I know what God wants me to do? Let me ask you, church, don't believe that crazy lie. Don't believe the crazy lie that Satan throws around at us that says you can't know the will of God. You absolutely know the will of God if you know His Word. You absolutely know it. I mean, you know the code of conduct. You know the will that requires us to love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, and all of our strength. And you know that it's God's will that we love our neighbor as ourselves. Do you not know that? I think we know that. You know God's person and God's name and God's word will all be kept holy by us every moment of our life. God calls us, keep my word holy. Our loyalty to God is to be unwavering. Our use of His holy name is to be honorable. And our love of His word is to be unchallenged. That's all comes from God's word. In all of our interaction with others, we're supposed to show selfless love. God expects that we'll honor those in authority in our home, in our church, and even in our government. And must I say, even when we don't like it or we don't agree with it, God's will is that we still honor those who are placed in those positions. We are to always defend and treasure the gift of life. That's in God's Word. And all of our thoughts, our words, our actions, we're to abide by His commands concerning marriage and not what man says about marriage. God expects us to only speak the truth in love to others and not in a way that is angry or hurtful or, or attacking. He also commands us to be content with material blessings that He has given us and quit pursuing more and more and more and more stuff. We can know God's will because it's in God's Word. And the more you know God's Word, the more you understand and know God's will. Because God's will is not unclear. To live our life worthy of a child of God, we're to be as holy as He is. Now there's a tradition among the guards who serve at the tomb of the unknown soldier. Wherever they salute a commanding officer, they say in a loud voice, Line 6, sir! Line 6, sir. That's a reference to line 6 of the Sentinel's Creed. In 99 words, this creed captures what it means to be a guard of the tomb. It states, My dedication to this sacred duty is total and wholehearted. And the responsibility bestowed on me, never will I falter. And with dignity and perseverance, my standard will remain perfection. Through the years of diligence and praise and the discomfort of the elements, I will walk and tour in humble reverence to the best of my ability. It is He who commands the respect I protect. His bravery that made us so proud. Surrounded by well-meaning crowds by day. Alone in the thoughtful peace of night. This soldier will in honor glory rest under my eternal vigilance. That's their creed. But line six of that creed is these 
few words that says, my standard will remain perfection. And nothing less. My standard will remain perfection. Perfection, though, is to be our standard as we serve the living God. That's the call Paul is talking about when he said live the life that is worthy. He's talking about a life that is a life of perfection. That's what he lays on the Bible. To live our lives worthy who means that we are guided by his will and we are willing to pursue perfection. Historians tell us that prior to the establishment of around-the-clock guards at the tombs of the unknown, tourists used the original monument as a picnic table whenever they visited Arlington Cemetery. It's centrally located, gives a great view of the park, and so it worked out well. Let's sit here and have our lunch. Obviously, those who did this were showing a lack of respect for the unknown soldiers who died for the country, but now since the guards at the tomb do their job faithfully 24 hours a day, seven days a week, no matter what the weather is, since 1937, I guarantee you nobody has used that tomb as a picnic table. The memory of the soldiers buried there has been honored. What are the results, though, when we live our lives worthy of the Lord as directed by His will? Verse 10 says, So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. See, if we serve God with honorable behavior, we please Him and we bear the fruit of faith. Soldiers guard the tomb. They want to bear the fruit that says, let's honor those who have gone before us. God's honor and His name are kept holy among us. And of course, those who see our lives may also be led to honor God. Stop and think about that for a moment. Church, we're being watched by a world that wants to know what is Christianity really about. And they're watching you in your workplace and your children are watching you in your home and they're wondering what language comes out of your mouth. How do you behave? How are you any, any different? And people don't want to know what you've got to say about God until they know how much you care. And so they're looking at us and Paul says, listen, as you live a life that is worthy, then hopefully others will want to honor your God. Here's the big question though. Do we deserve to be counted amongst the soldiers in God's army? Do we really deserve that? I would say the resounding answer is absolutely not. We don't deserve it. We've not kept His code of conduct perfectly. None of us have. Through our sins, we have brought shame on our heavenly commander. Paul said it this way. He said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've let ourselves become distracted by our first priority in life and left the post that God has assigned to us, so to speak. Think of how our sins have stained the holy uniform that God has given us. Perfection is impossible for us. Our minds have entertained thoughts that God cannot stomach. Like traitors on God's cause, we have walked down paths that the children of God had no business walking. Time and time again, we've been AWOL to our service of God, have we not? If we're real truthful, all of us at one time or another say, yeah, I've been AWOL. Yeah, I've fallen off the path. Yeah, I've messed with sin. Yeah, I've had thoughts that are not holy. Yeah, I've had ideas in my mind. I've lived behaviors that are not worthy. For some, it may have been even this morning. You go, man, that wasn't very worthy of what the Lord wants me to do. Then the second question we must ask is, why are we not stripped of the honor of being in God's army? Soldiers at the tomb, they lose their badge and they lose their honor and they lose their, their job. Why won't we? The only answer is because we have an awesome Savior. We have an awesome Savior. He went on a great rescue mission 
to save us. Jesus obeyed His Father's code of conduct perfectly, and He's the only one that's ever obeyed it perfectly. He threw Himself on the hand grenade of our sins and, and let them take His life instead of ours. And because of what Jesus has done, God looks down and says, you're one of mine. You're perfect because you are in Christ. Not because of what you do or because of what you don't do. That means our commission to serve God isn't dependent upon us. It's not because of our abilities that we are given the honor of living a worthy life of the Lord. Verse 11 and 12 points us to the source of power to live a life worthy of the Lord when Paul says, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father, the Father who has qualified. You see what the Father does? He qualifies you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of lights. So to answer the call to live our life worthy of the Lord, we return again and again and again and again and again and again. We return to the Lord for our strength. We turn to the Lord for our perfection because Jesus is the one that lifts us up. Legendary quarterback Brett Favre did something rather amazing one Monday night football game. It was just a day after he learned that his dad had passed away that he still played in a Monday night football game. And he played, he said, my dad wouldn't want me to skip this game. And Favre's athletic performance was outstanding. It was unbelievable. It was off the charts. It set records in what he did on that Monday night. And Dr. Stephen Taylor, a clinical psychologist, wrote about what he saw. And here's what he wrote. He said, besides the human interest story of Favre is the understanding of the skill sets of an elite athlete. One skill set we know he has is the ability to focus and play through pain. An ability to block all things out and have the focus of a laser beam. That level of focus is contagious. Taylor said of the rousing play of Favre's teammates, it's a Michael Jordan effect. One thing he used to do was make others around him better. Brett Favre did that too. The Michael Jordan effect is what the psychologists called it. See, in another setting, in a non-sports setting, where life and eternity are at stake, we might call it the Jesus effect, so to speak. The Jesus effect. He raises our level of service to God. He inspires us to live our lives that are worthy of the Lord. He strengthens us for the task with His power and His Word and His energy. And it's in Christ that we are made perfect and whole and holy and able to live lives that are worthy of God. See, on average, a serviceman who guards a tomb and the unknown soldier spend eight hours to prepare for duty. Their uniform must be meticulously prepared. What preparation do we put in a service for God? What is the call of the preparation? See, we need the power of God's Word to give us the strength required for our duty. That's why it's so important that this is daily part of our lives. That's why it's so important. This is where our strength comes from. As we hear from God's Word, then the Holy Spirit has strength to guide us to live lives that are worthy. And Paul said in the book of Ephesians, as he wrote to the church in Ephesus, he gave them very clear directions when he said this. He said, therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Paul used battle terms. 
And he says, you need to be a person of prayer. You'd be a person of truth. Put on that belt of truth to get the Word in your life. And Paul lays out one battle item after another battle item. So a logical question that someone might ask then of the soldiers who guard the tomb of the unknown is why do they want to do it? Why do they want to go through it if it's so strenuous? Why do they want to go through it if it's such a tough thing? The, the work of the guards is so tedious and so demanding. I mean, in snowstorms and in rainstorms, in heat of the summer and in the cold of the winter, the guards of the tomb faithfully do their duty. What motivates them to do that kind of task? Most of us would probably say, I'm not sure if I'm game for that. Maybe a few in here would say, I would love to have done it at one point in my life. I imagine that for some of it's the challenge of doing something few men are able to do that draws them to it. Like if only 80% of people fail, if 80% fail, then I want to be one of the 20% succeed. For others, it may be the honor and the pride, the tradition that go with being a guard at such a, a sacred memorial. But overall, I'm sure that in each soldier there is a love for their country and appreciation for those who died in service to our country. And they said, if they've died, then I must do my duty to protect the unknown names of the soldiers who have passed. Leaves me a second question, then what is it that motivates you and me to live our lives worthy of the Lord? What is it that motivates you and me? Why do we go through this? I mean, why face the challenges of being a Jesus follower, especially in our culture that's more and more turning against God? Why, why stand up for Christ? Why stand up for Christ if your friends may ridicule? Why stand up for Christ if maybe you won't get invited to the next activity? Why stand up for Christ if people think you're crazy? Why do that? Why choose the narrow and difficult path of obedience or the wide and easy path of sin? Why do you do it? Apostle Paul answers that question in verse 13 and 14. He says, For he has rescued us, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us in the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, when we realize that it was God's undeserved love that brought us out of Satan's prison war camp, so to speak. When we realize that, and we're now part of his royal army, and we get a chance to live a life with the Lord, our commander, forever. We want to honor Him because of what He's done for us and what He's given us. Just as those who guard the, the tomb are guarding because of those who have given their life, we should want to live lives that are worthy for someone who's given our life for eternity. When we realize that life without God means eternal separation, and that's what the Scripture is talking about, rescued us from the dominion of darkness. That's eternal separation. And He's rescued us and brought us in the kingdom of the Son He loves, which that's eternity in heaven. When we realize that, we should say, I want my life to reflect Him. This July 1st will be 80 years that the soldiers have stood at the tomb of the unknown soldier at Arlington Cemetery. I mean, they're meticulous in what they do. They prepare their duty thoroughly. They train for hours. Their public and private lives reflect the honor that they have been given them. Line 6 from the Sentinel's Creed expresses the devotion of the duty, the guard at the tomb of the unknown. It says, my standard will remain perfection. So dedicated these soldiers, even during hurricane times, they said, no, we're still guarding the tomb. I will risk my life to guard the tomb. For the past 80 years, the tomb guards have never failed their responsibility for the past 80 years, night and day, heat and cold, storm and no storm, they stood to guard a tomb. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may we take our duty so seriously. May we take our call so seriously that we would live our lives that worthy 
of Christ. As followers of Jesus, may our standard be perfection and may our dedication to Christ be total. May we always live a life that's worthy of the Lord. God's Word is clear about perfection God expects in our thoughts and our words and action. May we take up the sacred honor and duty that is ours, that's been given to us. Be directed by God's will, not by the fleeting thoughts of this world. Be be strengthened by His power, not by the latest self-help book or self-guidance theology or pop theology goes on. Make sure you're in God's Word so that's where your strength comes from. And be motivated by forgiveness and grace and love. May we give Him our best until that day when we're transferred to eternal kingdom to spend eternity with our eternal commanding officer of God Himself. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, The call is great. The challenge is huge to live lives, Lord, that are worthy of the Gospel. And Father, I must admit for myself, and I believe on behalf of everybody in this room, we have failed. We have messed up, Lord, at times where our thought life is not honoring You. Our actions don't honor You. Our behavior just doesn't honor You. And we say thank You because of Your Son Jesus putting His life out there for us and that He lived that perfect life, died atoning death for us, and His blood shed on, us, shed on the cross covers our sin, covers our, our shortcomings. Father, I'm thankful that we are able to be clothed with Christ. So when You look down, You don't see the brokenness we have. You don't see the the plight of people who have fallen short of carrying a life that's worthy, you see Jesus. You see people who are saved by His grace. Father, I just pray right now for those in this room maybe who are seeking Jesus. They're trying to understand what it means to be a Christ follower. As I said earlier in the message, Lord, this is not their code of conduct yet. Lord, I pray they discover in this place a place where they can come to know Jesus. I pray, Lord, maybe for the person who's thinking about putting their faith in Jesus, maybe today would be that day. I pray, Lord, for the person who's wrestling and they're searching, that they would feel this is a safe place to search and wrestle with things of faith and pray they would come to the point in the coming weeks or months to know You as their Savior. Father, we now come to the time to celebrate communion and we say thank You. Thank You for this great reminder as we partake of the cup and of the bread. We partake and we're reminded, Lord, that we are worthy because of the cross. We are worthy in Your name because of what Jesus did. Father, we honor You and we praise You at this time. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.